Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome if you're visiting. We are in Titus chapter 1, moving through the Bible. Titus chapter 1. Last time we only got through four verses, and I know I wasn't here last week. I heard David did a really good job, Pastor David. Yeah? Love that guy. You. Titus, if you need a Bible, anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll get the ushers. Keep your hand up. The ushers will get you one. They'll throw you one. No, they won't. You can keep this as a gift. If you don't have one, you're welcome to keep it. We are in uh, Titus. We're going to do the whole chapter. We, we did verses 1 through 4. So we'll go from 4 through 16. Titus 1, uh, let's go 5 through 16. Say amen if you're there. Okay. Paul says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, speaking of Titus, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as it hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said that the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to the Jewish fables and the commandments of men, that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them they are defiled, and the unbelieving is nothing pure." but even their mind and their conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. Father, we come before You right now, Lord, asking that You would open our eyes to remind us of Your great love. That we would understand the depths of Your love and what You've done for us. And by the Holy Spirit, give us the strength to finish and to finish well. Lord, I know we all wrestle with sin. And I pray that you would give us the strength to overcome it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would not be a people of excuses why we haven't changed, but we would let you change us. That we would be examples that are pleasing in your sight, a light that shines bright for your glory. So Lord, speak to us now the importance of a godly life. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This is good stuff. Now I know 
We did the first four verses and Paul encouraging Titus in a crazy place in Crete, some hundred, an island some 165, 70 miles long, about 30, 35 miles wide. It was known for being out of control. It was Partyville. And, uh, and if you've ever been to some countries, you know, you go to Italy, they love to party. You go down to Mexico, they love to party. You go to the U.S., they love to party. You know, it was, it was partying and out of control. And, and what Paul is trying to say to Titus is, Titus, not a lot of goods talked about the Cretans. And even in the church, things were infiltrating the church and he was saying, you need to get a handle on these things. That, that's the job of a shepherd, of an overseer, of a pastor to take control when someone comes in and they try to teach false doctrine. They try to uh, get the church to conform to the culture. We are not to be like the culture. We are to be like Jesus. We're trying to get the culture to conform to Jesus. And when you have a church that's only interested in making us look like we fit into the world, you got the wrong church. I don't want to fit into the world. I want to fit into what God has for us. I want the world to see that we stand out. There's something different about us that people want because they see Jesus in you. And you know, you're looking at this stuff and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, this doesn't pertain to me. This is a whole pile of scripture for pastors and elders, and, and it doesn't pertain to me. Really? Now I'm going to see how many of you read the email last night that came from the church. Ready? How many of you are in full-time ministry? Nobody reads the emails? Okay, everybody raise your hands. Everybody. There we go. A couple of... Stubborn people. We're all in full-time ministry. You signed up. You gave your life to Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price. You're not your own. You're His. We are all in ministry. And I think what needs to happen with the people of Jesus is that they've got to realize what Jesus has done for them. Do you realize you are not going to hell? I don't, that excites me. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to hell. I'm excited because Jesus saved me from a life that was leading me to destruction. I was in darkness. God got a hold of my life. I repented of my sins and he gave me eternal life. That means something to me. I don't know if anybody's ever done something good for you and you said, you know what? You did that for me. I am always there for you. Well, Jesus is always there for you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what the trial, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how messed up it seems, he's got your hand and he's going to walk you through. And there's going to be gold at the end of that trial. There's going to be a rainbow at the end of that storm. There's going to be eternal life when we close our eyes here and open them up in heaven. And if you don't appreciate that, it's probably because you don't know the word. Because all of his promises are right in here. And all of his promises are yes and amen. And God has taken your life and he has turned it around. He loves you. You know, uh, John 17 tells us that God loves us so much that the Father loves us with the same love 
that he has for the son. What? No one's ever loved you like that. You know, if you ever sit around and you say, Jesus doesn't love me, let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He poured out his spirit upon you. But he's not going to force you to serve him or to love him. You still have free will. Because if you didn't have free will, then it really wouldn't be love, would it? It really wouldn't be. It would be somebody forcing you to love. And that's, that's you know, sometimes people say, why is there so much evil in the world? We live in a fallen world. Hello? It's a fallen world. This isn't what God wanted for you. But man has done these things to us. Man has done these things to the planet. Man has done this, th- this stuff to other nations. Out of greed and hatred and lust and power and authority, man wanting to rule. But see, you're different. Because you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you said, listen, I, I, I tap out. You rule. Uh, my life is not my own. I, I don't want it to be. And, and, and listen, God, you know what he says in Philippians 1.6? He says, be confident of this very thing that he that begun the good work is going to complete it. Hello! Uh, yeah, all right, three people are stoked. You should be excited because I don't know about you, but I don't feel that great about my walk. I need work. But I know this, he's going to get me to the finish line. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life to get you to the finish line. Did you know that? That is God's promises. We talked last time about godliness. What does God want from us? He wants godliness. He wants us to look different. He wants people to look at you and glorify the Father in heaven for what he's doing through your life. He wants to look into your eyes and and see Jesus, not you. And he wants you to be a reflection of him out in the community. He wants godliness. The word tells us how we're supposed to respond. Here's the thing. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Is he just your Savior? I'm trying to encourage you. I I, really am. I'm serious. But I'll tell you what. I think we're all a little guilty of this, including myself, is that for sure we want Jesus as our Savior. We all want to go to heaven, right? We're going there, right? We're We're on our way. The problem we have is making him Lord. Too many times we're making excuses for our sin. And you know what? I know you're good people. I know you do great things. But you know and I know there's things in your life and in my life that God is still trying to get rid of. And we're not listening. And we're somehow justifying. You know, Lord, I know I'm not doing drugs anymore and I'm not getting drunk. I just gossip. It's that simple. God hates gossip. God hates division. God hates discord. God hates unforgiveness. God hates revenge. Vengeance is of the Lord. Let him handle it. God hates rebellion. I'm sure I just named something that you, we all do. I, I know there's stuff there, right? Someone's hurt you. You're, you're not going to forgive them. Why? You know, it, it's God wants you to forgive that person that's hurt you because it is weighing on you so heavily, it's messed up your life. And you're like, I didn't do anything. They, they harmed me, and I never did anything. I get it. 
But by carrying that load on your shoulders, your life's been ruined and you need to throw that thing away. Paul would say, why are we dragging baggage behind us in our walk? Cut the cord. Let the garbage go away. Give it to Jesus. Let Him take the burden and lift it off your shoulders. He wants you to forgive. He wants you to love. He wants you to give. He wants you to serve. Do we want to do that? I don't think we do if we don't understand what He's done. Do you believe this is the Word of God? You know, we, we, we read last time that God cannot lie. What does that mean? That means this is true. There's nothing false in here. It's all true. God cannot lie. I talked about back three weeks ago that thank God my faith isn't based on my feelings. Because I don't feel so saved sometimes. Right? Right? Okay, I just make sure it's just not me because I think I'm messed up. But sometimes I wake up, I don't feel so godly. I don't feel so saved. I don't feel like serving. I don't feel like being a reflection of God. I don't feel like doing stuff for Him. I don't feel like helping others. I'm just being real with you. But I know this, that if I get on my knees and I cry out to God, He is faithful to give me the power to do all those things. And that's when I thank Him that my salvation is based on the Word of God, the promises of God, and it's not based how I feel, because I don't always feel that great. Sometimes I don't feel like taking all those phone calls. Sometimes I don't feel like answering all those emails and text messages. Sometimes I just don't feel like it. But you know what's amazing about God is He's always available, unlike us. And He's going to love you so much, He's going to see you through to the end. And so because Jesus loves us so much, because Jesus died for our sins on the cross, because He rose from the dead on the third day, because He's given us eternal life, that should be enough to drive us to serve the Lord, to give to the Lord, to love on people, to forgive in Romans 12.1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So I entitled my message, Reasonable Service, because this portion of Scripture, though you can say it's for elders, it's for pastors, it's for all of us. Because doesn't the Bible say that we're all a royal priesthood? Amen. So nobody's getting away. God's called you to serve. And if you really grab onto what the Lord's done for you, hello, I know some of you personally and what God has brought you out of. And it's like mind-blowing. And you know what? I'll tell you something. Those that have been forgiven much, what? They love much. And, and when I see the power and the drive and the heart of somebody who was steeped in wickedness and got saved, and now they're on fire for the Lord, they understand what love is. They understand what forgiveness is because God has showed them great forgiveness and great love. See, if you are an extreme sinner, 
now you're extreme Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's only reasonable that we would serve Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because He's worth it. Listen to what 1 Peter said in verse, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind. Be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. See, a lot of us, <clears throat> before we came to the Lord, we sinned in ignorance. We did things, we just didn't think they were that wrong. But the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin, and God's expecting you at that moment to turn away. And if you're here today and you're someone that's like hanging on to something you know that's not right, you're missing out on the blessings that God has for you because He wants you to get that thing out of the way. He's got more for you. He's got more for you. And what He's got for you is good. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of His visitation. Amen. For in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. I'm so glad I'm in the light now. I'm still a work in progress. That's why... We should worship him with everything we got. Titus was dropped off in a place called Crete. Talk about, like, this, is, this was like the Mediterranean Vegas. This was like the Mediterranean Sodom and Gomorrah. All things were happening there. And he's trying to bring some order to the church who's getting caught up in the culture, and then they got legalists infiltrating and leading people astray. And I, I'll tell you what, I don't think Timothy would have made it here. I think that's why Titus was left here. Because this is the kind of place that would chew you up and spit you out. Now, though we see that Titus, I feel, was a little stronger in personality and that he is considered a son in the faith to the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul left him there. We don't see any mention of him in the book of Acts, but we know he was with Paul in the book of Acts um, because we don't see him mentioned in the book of Acts, but we see him mentioned in other places. Galatians 2.1, we see that Titus was with Paul in Jerusalem. Uh, he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't about to be circumcised because he was a gentle Gentile. And, and Paul used him as an example of circumcision doesn't save you. And, and so that would put him in around Acts 15. In 2 Corinthians, we see that Titus had a heart for the people of Corinth. That would put him in Acts 18 and 19. 2 Timothy 4.10, he was in Dalmatia. Now, Crete was full of a bunch of liars, stealers, 
out of control. You know, they were, they were gluttons. There was sex, drugs, rock and roll, party, party, party. But some of them had turned to the Lord. And here's the key. You know, sometimes we get so upset about people or politicians or the White House. I'll tell you what, um, pray for their salvation. Pray for God to get a hold of our, their heart because the only way someone's going to change is if they have a true transformation. You can beat your head against a wall trying to reason with them why they need to change. you got to do this. But if you just start praying for them that God will get a hold of their hearts and they give their life to God, that's what will change our country. Start praying for the president on down. Lord, open their heart. Let them let have an opportunity. Just bombard them with people that love Jesus. And, and, and Lord, I pray for their salvation because I'll tell you what, if the president on down got saved, United States would get saved. I believe that with all my heart. And some of those radical people that you know, or even family members, you've got to pray for their salvation. A true transformed life will change the things that are around you. Godliness He wants us to have. If the truth you have, this Bible, doesn't lead you to a godly life, something's wrong. Now, I know we're not what we should be, but we should be able to say I'm not what I used to be. And by reading this Bible and being on our knees and praying, God should be transforming you from glory to glory. Okay, you should be a work in progress. When we really believe the Word of God, it leads to a godly life. And so in verse 5, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. And so we see the position of a pastor or an elder is by appointing, it's not by voting. The church doesn't vote them in. The leaders don't vote them in. It's something that the pastor, something that the elders, they see the gift of God upon that man's life. And they say he's got a calling on his life. And that, that, that position is by appointment. Crete was a bad place. It needed a lot of work. They needed order in the church. Paul was encouraging Titus to get order, to stop these legalists, to get them out if they won't change. And the position of an elder is a gift from God. Overseers that have a heart for God's people, have a heart for the ministry, they're caring, they're committed to the Word of God and to prayer, and they have a protecting heart over the flock to keep phony doctrine from coming in. These are some of the gifts that an elder or a pastor should have as qualities. Now, what we see, though, in life is that some are made elders who do not have the gift because the church voted them in or some group voted them in. That, that, that you can't do it like that. But then there's other people that have the gift of being a leader like this and they're not serving like that. And that's a shame because God gives every one of you gifts. And those gifts are not for you, but they're for the body of Christ. And if you're not using your gift, you're hindering the body of Christ. I just want to encourage you. God wants to use you. Don't say you don't have gifts. We all got gifts. Some of you have many gifts. And God wants to use you. So when I look for a leader personally, I look for somebody who just comes into the church. All of our leaders were people that just came into the church and started working. 
Never ask for a job. How can I help? What can I do? And you start to watch them. So what I look for in a leader, get this, it's not credentials and it's not diplomas. I don't look for that because credentials and diplomas doesn't mean you have the calling on your life. It's a gift from God. I look for someone who loves the Word of God, someone that loves Jesus, someone that loves the church, someone that just wants to serve, someone that loves people, someone that wants to protect the flock, someone that just wants to serve and they don't want any attention brought to themselves. So how do we know who is qualified to be an elder or an overseer? Well, it starts to explain that to us in this chapter. Look at verse 6. If a man is blameless and the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation and insubordination. So one of the things that we look at for a pastor or an elder is that he is to be a man that is married to one woman. Now, it doesn't mean if you're single, you can't be a pastor or an elder. It doesn't mean that. Um, it doesn't mean if you've had a divorce. You had a nasty divorce, and then you've gotten, you know, really involved with God and everything. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't remarry. It's, it's saying, basically, it's saying you have one woman in your life. She's your wife. You're not messing around on her. You don't got any concubines. You don't got any affairs going on. This is, is, this is what God says. The husband of one wife. Says he's supposed to be blameless. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. That means that there's going to be times that people are going to make accusations about you. Just make sure they're not true. That's what it means. Because let me tell you something. If Satan can't get you one way, he'll get you another way. So if Satan's tactic is to take you down no matter what, so if he can't get you for living in sin and you're not stealing, you're not committing adultery, Satan will come after you with the tongue. He'll get people to gossip about you and to say lies about you. It's funny how you can, you can be a blessing to a thousand people and then one person says something bad about you and it's all you think about. And then all of a sudden that goes around on social media and without any facts, all of a sudden everybody's like beating you down like what was just said is truth. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not fighting someone else in the church or in the community. We wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. The enemy, if he can't get you to steal money from the church, to do drugs, to be drunk, to go after other women that are not, you're not married to, if he can't get you to do that, <coughs> he'll go after you with gossip and slander. I always love what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, people are going to talk about you and they're going to say horrible things. You just make sure that when you lay your head down on the pillow at night that none of it's true. There's an old saying that a lie will travel around the world three times before the truth gets its shoes on. That's so true, especially nowadays. Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, whatever. Right? People are, are ruthless. He talks about having his family in order, too. Uh, that The kids shouldn't be out of control. Now, you know as well as I do, if you have more than one kid, there's always a little rebel in the pack, right? There's always that challenging one. Everybody's got that one that's going to push the envelope. 
We had five. Spinning plates and herding cats. And though they all grow up in the same house and they all go to the same church, they're all kind of getting to Jesus in their own way, in a sense. I mean, there comes to that point where they've got to accept Jesus on their own. And all you're, you're to do is to train them up in the ways of the Lord and to set ground rules and rules in the house. So what he's saying here is that as a man of God, as a father that serves the Lord Jesus, I'm to set rules and boundaries in my home for my kids to keep. Though I may have some rebels, then I deal with them according to the Word of God. That's what that means. Because you know, if you think you can't serve in the church because you've got a wild kid, welcome to the family of God. I mean, before you got saved, you were a wild kid, right? Oh, you don't want to admit it? Okay. All right. We're in church. You're all lying. That's okay. <laughs> oh. In verse 7, he says, For a bishop must be blameless. That doesn't mean perfect. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. Okay. Good stuff right there. Not self-willed. He is to be, and this is for all of us. We're not to be self-centered. We're supposed to be other-centered. You're supposed to care as a Christian man or woman for more other people more than yourself. To help others rather than to be helped yourself. That we are not self-willed. This, is, this goes back to what I was saying about is Jesus your Savior or is He your Lord and Savior? Because if He is your Lord then, then that means we're going to obey everything he tells us to do in this word, right? And, and that's important. So, so we, as children of God, make Jesus our Lord, understanding our frailties and our downfalls, and ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to give us strength to live for him. We're not self-willed. We're driven by the Lord Jesus Christ. We are men and, that are not soon angry. We're not the kind of people that lose our temper and start flipping out. And for maybe some of you, that's something you got to work on. Maybe there's no happy medium with you. It's just zero to 60 in, in a split second, right? And you don't receive uh, encouragement or exhortation very well, and you can go from really calm to just screaming at the top of your lungs. God wants you to get a hold of that. It says not given to wine. Um, we know the Bible says we're not allowed to be drunken. The idea in this verse is one that doesn't sit by the bottle long. Drunkenness is forbidden, um, and that's what he says here, not given too much wine. Not a striker. Uh, you don't want a pastor and elders just going around punching people in the face. And God knows there's some people that deserve it. But you're not supposed to do that. And maybe that describes you. In the old days, someone got up in your grill, you just knocked them out. That was what you did. But now, you're trying to control yourself. I know that I had, I was, I didn't, I never started fights, but I was willing to get into it to fix the problem. And, and, and as I became a Christian, God really had to speak to my heart. Because I've had a couple people over the years get up in my face because they're doing something wrong, and I called them out of it, out on it in love. And next thing you know, I got a guy this far from my face, fuming, cursing at me, calling me all kinds of names, spitting on me. And I'm just thinking to myself, I could just punch him in the face right now, and there, nobody would see it. And who are they going to believe, him or me? 
I'm just being real. And I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But, you know, it's funny how those temptations still come in, right? And how the enemy wants to get you to blow your testimony so everybody could go, there, there's the one we know. Stay strong. Not a striker. Talks about filthy lucre. He's not someone that's given to money. This is important when you've got leadership. It's not about the money because <laughs> if you want to make money, you don't want to be a leader in the church, okay? I mean, I realize there's some phoniness going on out there and people are making money, but, you know, when I started serving in the church, people served in the church because they wanted to serve in the church, but nowadays, a lot of times, I get these emails from people that say, hey, thinking about moving to Kauai, here you got a church there, wonder if you had any openings, and if so, how much does it pay? Does it have insurance and a retirement program? And I'm like, delete, delete, delete. You shouldn't be in ministry for money. It says not given to filthy lucre, not given to money. Now, you won't find that a requirement with televangelists. I mean, I am so blown away. There's good stuff on TV. Don't get me wrong. There's some good teachers out there. But there's a lot of guys that I would like to see clipped. And these are guys that talk for five minutes about Jesus and 20 minutes about your wallet. Get rid of them. They're the guys with telethons, you know, so-and-so just gave this, so-and-so gave that. Get rid of them. Thermometers going, you know, hey, we got to raise our, raise our goal. Forget about it. I'll tell you what, if you ever turn on TBN and you see Jan and Paul giving away money instead of asking for money, lay your hands on that TV. That's an act of the Holy Spirit. I'm just kidding, but you know what I'm saying? I want to hear the Word of God preached on TV. I don't want to hear about my wallet. God's got to move in your heart. God, where God guides, God provides. And, and if he's not providing, there's one of two things. He's not happy with what's going on in the fellowship or the people just aren't responding. And God will move a man somewhere else. He says we're supposed to be sober. Oh, I thought he already said not given to wine. This is a different word. This, this is a word sober-minded, which means that we are supposed to be uh, serious about what we're doing. We're supposed to be level-headed. We're supposed to have some wisdom. We're also supposed to be just, according to the Word of God, the way we handle things. Holy. Temperate means self-control. You need leaders in the church that have self-control. <clears throat> in verse 9, he says, holding fast to the faithful Word as it has been taught that you may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict those so speaking of the gainsayers that we are to teach the word of god that's why we teach through the word of god now you're visiting here today maybe the church you go home uh you you go to back home doesn't teach through the word of god i don't know but for here we're committed to going through the bible so when we finish titus we go on to the next book we just go through the bible and then we start over again and that way, because I get you through every chapter, every verse, every word, even the spaces, and we need to grow in the Word of God. Because if you read on your own, you'll probably just read the stuff that you like. And it's good for us to read the stuff that will challenge us. That's why I always tell you guys, read ahead. If you don't like what you read, don't show up, because I'm going to preach on it. Okay? That way, 
It's great. This works good in a small town like Kauai because we got the coconut wireless, everybody's stuff, all your laundry's right out there for everybody to see, right? You know? And so what this helps me out because somebody can't walk through those doors on a Sunday and say, you saw me and started preaching about me. I'm like, no, this is where I'm at in the Bible and the Holy Spirit's convicting you. I have nothing to do with it. He says in verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Cretan had a bad rep. And what was happening was legalism. The Judaizers were creeping into the church. Now, we know that we are saved by faith and faith alone. We're not saved by our works, but our saving faith should produce good works because that's an evidence that we are saved, a transformed life. But those works don't save us. And the Judaizers came in and said, hey, it's faith in Jesus and being circumcised and keeping the law, and they were legalistic. And so he said, these leaders, you've got, you need to stop them because they're, they're sending people down a wrong path. He says they're vain talkers, empty talk. There's no content to their message. They're deceivers and they're teaching false doctrine. Have you ever got around somebody who could just talk, 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 and by the time they're done talking, they really didn't say anything? Sounds like our VP, our vice president, huh? Salad words? I mean, okay, I'm sorry. But you know what I'm saying? You get around these people, and you get around people sometimes that say they're spiritual, but they really don't know the Word of God. They're caught up in New Age stuff, and they're just talking about all this crazy stuff. You're just like, you're not making any sense. I remember one time, uh, my buddy and I, we infiltrated this meeting, this New Age meeting down in Honolulu School, and we knew all the who's who's from the island, all the wealthy they're, you know, the fancy cars all showed up to hear this guy, this guru guy, speak. And he was sitting on this big, like, sofa chair. And he was just staring at everybody. And everybody's on the edge of their seat, like. <gasps> and he goes, a man is but a man because he's a man. <laughs> and all these who's who's were like, oh, that was so profound. <gasps> Did you hear that? And then he goes, and a woman is but a woman because she's a woman. And they were so taken back. I'm just going, are you serious? <laughs> Vain talkers. Empty talk. No content to what they're saying. Deceivers and false doctrine. In verse 11, he says, whose mouths must be stopped. We need to stop this kind of behavior. Guys, and we need to stop it because we love that person because we love God. And there's a lot of people, let me, let me tell you, there's a lot of people caught up in the New Age movement that are really, truly seeking. They really are. Their hearts are good. And they want what's good, but just they don't have truth. And we need to go to them and give truth in love and show the grace of God that God showed us and lead them to truth to come out of that phony teaching so that their mouths would be stopped of spreading the lie. There's only one way. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. But the road to destruction is wide and many go on it. And there's only one way in order to be saved. Only one way by which man can be saved. 
and that's confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then thou shalt be saved. And, and, and I'm glad there, I'm not, I'm not you know, everybody goes, there's only one way. I'm glad there's a way. Right? Stop the mouths of those people who are using legalism for gain. You know, the Bible tells us all about, you know, uh, you know, when you read the parable of the soils and it talks about Satan sows the tares and the wheat, and then the servants say to the master, should we tear up the, the tares? He goes, no, because then you're going to pull up the, the wheat too. Because in the early stages, uh, the Darnell plant, the tares, looks just like the wheat. And you can't tell which one it is until later on as they grow that reveals itself. And so do legalists and false teachers as they hang out more and more. They act like you at first, but slowly they start to reveal themselves. And then you've got to get rid of them. And what, what you usually see is somebody that will come in, and it's always funny that these folks that come in and try to pull people out of churches, they never want to go start a church on their own. They always want to come and get the rest, another flock's people. And they'll come in and they'll say, I know the pastor said this and that today. It was a good message, but he really doesn't know what I know. Be careful. Be careful. And when you run into those kind of people, you say, show me that in the Bible. Do you know the cults out there, they will never be able to show you the things they say they believe in the Bible. They will only be able to show it to you out of a book that one of their leaders wrote. I'm going to stick to this book. This is the word of God and the promises of God. In verse 12, he says this. He says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And Paul says, this testimony is true. Wow. Therefore, be, be sound in the faith. Um, Wait, where is that? Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To purge all things that are, the, the, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So he, he comes and he says, listen, um, the word on the street around the world is all Christians are liars, gluttons, beasts, evil beasts. I, I just look at that and I go, wow, Paul doesn't sugarcoat things. I mean, he calls it out for what it is. This prophet that he's talking about is a guy from 6th century B.C. before Jesus even came on the scene, and his name was Epimenides. And he said back then that all Cretans were evil beasts, liars, and lazy pigs. And uh, Paul says, I've been there and it's true. So that's really not, you know, the ideal thing to be said about you, right, as a title. And, and so my question is, what do people say about Kilauans? And, and if it's not very good, then what do they say about this church? What, what kind of reputation do we have in the community? Um, I think personally that we have a good reputation in the community. But I know we can always increase and be better. And I think people know that we love the community. We love the people. We're always there to help. Whenever there's a disaster, we're there to help. We're there to help broken families. We're help be there for the, for the folks, for the homeless, for, for whatever we can do. And that's a good thing. When, when I go out in the public and I hear people talk about you guys, I hear good things. That's awesome. That means you are the hands and feet of Jesus. That means you're a reflection of our Lord and Savior out in the community. That means you are making an impact in causing people to come into this church by the walk that they see that you have and they want what you have. 
Now, not everybody in Crete was evil beasts acting like animals and being lazy pigs. Uh, lives were being transformed, but what was the problem was this legalism was coming into the church. And basically what was happening is there's a thing called in the Jewish religion the Talmud. That's Jewish writings that added to the Word of God and added to traditions and the commandments of God. And it's basically legalism. And Paul's saying, get it out. You are saved by faith and faith alone. So in verse 15, he says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So, if someone comes to you and tells you that you're saved by faith and being a member of our church, don't go to that church. If someone tells you that you're saved by faith and keeping the commandments, don't go to that church. If someone tells you you're saved by faith and keeping the rules of our church and the dietary laws, don't go to that church. You're in the wrong church. You're saved by faith in nothing. Right? How refreshing was that for the apostles when God like lifted the dietary laws? Well, see, you guys never followed them, so you don't understand. But I can't, can you imagine the first time Paul or Peter bit into like a bacon cheeseburger? I mean, think about that. Bacon and cheese on meat. And they just went, oh, so good. But it's funny how people, even with good intentions, will start to try to bring their church under bondage and, and guilt to bring them to a place where next thing you know they're jumping through hoops in order to hope that they're saved when it's saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and Him alone. You have nothing to bring to the table. You have nothing to add. Jesus did it all. You just brought yourself and acknowledged He's God, I'm not. Forgive me of my sins. You were forgiven and you asked Him into your life. And by that, you received the gift of salvation and were born again. So what he's trying to say here is, there are these that they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. So let me close up with this. So as a believer, it's one thing to stand out there and tell people you're a Christian, but what do they see when you look at your life? And I know maybe you're doing better than you've ever been doing, but maybe God's calling you to stop gossiping. Stop cursing. Start forgiving. Quit holding grudges. These are, these are things of the heart that really we all battle with. Amen? And, and God's saying, listen, don't, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer. There's a lot of people that talk the talk, but there's not a lot that walk the walk. God doesn't want talkie-talkies. He wants walkie-talkies. Okay? <laughs> Professing that you love Jesus is not enough. When your heart is changed, it produces good works. That's why James said, faith without works is dead. It produces works. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves is never alone. Professing is not enough. Behavior is the proof that you're a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
for this time to realize that even if we're not a pastor or an elder, this is great stuff for us to walk in. And so, Lord, I pray that in some way that it touched every heart that's here this morning, that we would all desire to want more of you, less of us, less of us, more of you. Lord, get a hold of us. Empower us. Fill us all right now with the Holy Spirit. Lord, strengthen us with the gifts of the Spirit. Help us to use those gifts for your glory. Lord, increase our faith, Lord God, through the reading of the Word, Lord. Give us a hunger and thirst for the Word of God and for righteousness. Lord, you said be holy because you are holy. We want to be like you. Lord, in these last days, with all the craziness we see, this world needs to see a group of people called out by God, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation to stand out for you so they can say, listen, I, I'm sick of this world. I, I want what God's offering. I see the peace that you have. I see the love that you have and the forgiveness. I, I, I want that. Lord, give us opportunity to lead people right to your feet. Give us divine appointments today, Lord, as we walk out into the mission field in a little bit here. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I don't want anybody leaving without that opportunity. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've kind of like been thinking about it a lot, but you haven't really given yourself to it. I want to ask you to pray with me right now and say, Lord, I believe you died on the cross. I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I was on my way to hell. Not by what you did, but what I did. And Lord, I see that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father except through you. I believe you paid the price for my sin on the cross. And you rose up on the third day. And if I confess you with my mouth, that you are Lord and Savior and believe in my heart, I'll be saved. Save me now. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. There's no gimmicks. Now ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit to give you the power to run the race and to finish well. Amen? Please stand. Let's sing one more song.